0: From Transport Topics in Washington, D.C., this is Road Signs. Here is your host, Seth Clevenger. Thank you for listening to Road Signs, the podcast series from Transport Topics that explores the trends and technologies that are shaping the future of trucking. Over the next two episodes, we're going to review some of our most compelling conversations with previous guests. These first two entries in our new Roundabout series start with one of the most fascinating technology trends in our industry the advance of automated driving and driver-assist technology in commercial trucking. In part one, we're going to revisit past interviews with CEOs who are leading a pair of automated truck startups. One has been testing and developing highly automated trucks, while the other is building truck platooning technology. Later in the program, we're going to return to our September 2019 interview with Chetan Marichli, co-founder and CEO of platooning developer Locomation. But first, we're going to go all the way back to the debut episode of Road Science in June of 2018 and my conversation with Alex Rodriguez, CEO of self-driving truck developer Embark. Let's play that interview now. Alex Rodriguez is the CEO of Embark, a San Francisco-based startup that is developing self-driving truck technology and is testing it out on the road today. So thank you very much for joining us, Alex. Thanks for having me, Seth. You bet. Um Embark has been actively testing and operating self-driving trucks mostly in the southwestern U.S. on Interstate 10. Today, these trucks have a safety driver behind the wheel as a backup, ready to take over when needed. But the goal is to eventually reach the point where your trucks can operate on the freeway without a driver on board. Mm-hmm. So just how much work remains before you can confidently pull the this, this safety driver out of the truck and secure approval from regulators to do so. And describe the path you'll need to take to get to that point.
1: Yeah. So, Seth, this ends up being, uh, this obviously is the, the million dollar question of this whole thing. Um, and we're trying to make sure that we're doing it uh, in a, a smooth, responsible cadence, I guess is sort of the key here. Um, what are the pieces that need to go into it? Uh, first off, you need to uh, you need to do a whole lot of reliability testing. So going back and forth on I-10, initially... This isn't going to be a United States wide thing. Initially, this is going to be a single route in the Southwestern United States, as you mentioned. Uh, And so you end up or we end up having to have a bunch of trucks out testing with safety drivers to get to a point where we can show that they're reliable enough uh, that they can safely do the whole driving task. Um, And we think that that's probably going to take a couple of years just to do that initial testing just for that first route. in terms of what other pieces we have to do, uh, we obviously also have to work with the regulators and with the OEMs, uh, and both of those are sort of ongoing. Uh, the The regulatory landscape is not set in stone yet, uh, but we spend a lot of time making sure that we, uh, we work very closely with the regulators, they know what we're doing, um, and that they're doing things at a reasonable pace, right? It would be bad just like it would be bad if the regulations were late and you couldn't deploy, uh, even though it was safe, it would be bad if the regulations were early. And we wrote the regulations around technology that hadn't been fully proven out yet. Uh, so we're working closely with them to make sure that the regulations uh, line up with the technology and they end up coming out on the same timeline.
0: Absolutely. That's very good guidance. And uh, to be clear, I mean, this you're, you're talking millions of miles of testing, right? I mean, this is not something that happens overnight, this is this is lots of testing, extensive on-road testing to, to get to that point.
1: Yeah, that's right. We're talking doing probably more miles of testing than any individual human driver will drive in a career.
0: <laughs> sure. Now, let's go ahead and talk about Embark's deployment model for autonomous trucks. So to be clear, you're designing and programming these self-driving trucks to operate only on freeways, which means that these trucks will need to hand off trailers to conventional trucks piloted by drivers for the remaining short haul into the city or on uh, local routes to a distribution center. And these freight handoffs between autonomous and conventional trucks would take place at transfer hubs uh, that would be built at key points along interstates. So, Alex, could you tell us a little bit more about this transfer hub concept and why you see this as the best way to deploy autonomous trucks in the relative near term?
1: Yeah, so the way that we see the, the deployment of driverless trucks, um, you have to be thinking not just about what's technically feasible, but about what fits with the industry. Um, and so there's been a lot of noise about a competing concept where you would have the driver stay in the truck. Um, but we think that while that's it's technically achievable, it doesn't... Uh, do anything for the big problems facing the industry today. Uh, So obviously those are the driver shortage. Those are in particular um, the shortage in long haul driving. And so we think that if you have to have a driver still inside the vehicle, uh, what you end up doing is creating a new class of driving, uh, which in my opinion, I I imagine in, in most people's opinion is even harder then 11 hours and then sleeping and then 11 hours and then sleeping where this new class of driving uh would have to be you're just sitting in the back of a truck for a long period of time occasionally getting called upon to support it uh potentially driving or potentially on call for many more than the current 14 hours um but still away from home all those problems so you could build the tech sure But it wouldn't do anything to make a driver's life better, or to make driving jobs more desirable. Um, And so it's not really helping solve any of the problems facing the industry today. Um, By taking the transfer hub model, what we're doing is breaking the route up so that you have what used to be one big long haul route becomes two local routes with an autonomous section in the middle. and. This actually is both technically feasible and now starts to address the driver shortage, where you've gone from a long haul route, which could have been one of the 50,000 that we don't have a driver to fill today, uh, and we've actually created new local jobs, which are much easier to fill and much more desirable, uh, and we're getting the same freight moved. Uh, and so that's a big part of the reason why we think you want to go with the Transfer Hubs model. Yes, there are other ways to do it from a technical perspective. But once you start thinking about how does this fit with the needs of the industry? How does this fit with the needs of the drivers? Um it makes a lot more sense to try and allow drivers to stay local in in their own city.
0: Sure. You know, as you said, you know, the the driver is the is the real constraint that the the industry is facing right now. So, uh this is this this concept of transfer hubs is really aimed at finding a way to make that work for the driver and and make the job better for the driver. Um You know, and just looking at the technology side of this, by restricting the scope of operations to the freeways, you can introduce autonomous trucks much sooner, right? You know, it'll take a lot longer to develop autonomous trucks that can go, in theory, anywhere that a truck today can go with a driver, right?
1: Yes. uh, It will take a lot longer because it's much, much harder to do from a technical perspective to drive in the city. And also, it's much harder from a logistical perspective. There's a lot of interaction with the end customer, pre-trip, post-trip inspection, bills of lading, uh, maybe loading in certain locations. Uh, There's a lot of detail at the beginning and the end of a trip that is really best suited to a person, uh, along with it being a much harder driving job. Whereas once you get out onto the interstate, uh, there's a lot less things that are going on.
2: 10 everyday uses of transport topics on Alexa. One, while you get ready for work in the morning. Two, while you cook breakfast. Three, while you eat breakfast. Four, while you drive to work. Five, while you're at work. Six, while you eat your lunch. Seven, while you're driving home. Eight, while you cook dinner. Nine, while you eat dinner. 10, while, well, let's face it, It's one minute with today's biggest industry headlines. The listening options are endless. So why be confined to 10? Simply say, "Okay, Google, talk to Transport Topics.
0: When we think about autonomy, when we think about automation in this industry, you know, there's always the question of what will the emergence of autonomous trucks mean for truck driving jobs in the years ahead? So what are your thoughts, Alex? You know, how will this job change? And what would you say to somebody who's concerned that the truck driving job might just disappear altogether?
1: Yeah. So I guess I I would say a couple different things. The first one is uh, don't believe the hype. Uh, The media loves sensationalist stories about how there will be no driving jobs in two years from now, which is just not in line with the reality of the technical development. Um, This is a gigantic industry with a huge variety of different driving tasks, which are each individually very hard and all of which are gonna take a bunch of time to do. And so uh, I don't see, for example, uh, city driving or even driving in uh, snowy northern areas happening anytime in the next decade. Uh, So the first thing I think to say is, don't believe the hype. Uh, The media has their reasons for trying to make things uh, overblown, but, but it's just not realistic. Um, the second thing that I would say is that there are a lot of, as I said before, parts of the driving task that I think are not well suited to automation that are, are much better done by a person. Uh, and I don't think that's going to change anytime in the near future. So, uh, although we might see automation in chunks of the job that makes sense, like, uh, driving long interstate stretches on good quality roads, uh, there are whole big chunks of the industry that you're unlikely to ever get to for example i don't think we'll ever do uh hazmat i don't think that we're ever going to be doing like last mile drop off or pick up for the vast majority of situations um and so that's sort of the second piece is one don't believe the hype it's going to be a lot slower than people say two it's not going to be everything. It's going to be sort of piecemeal, bit by bit, and it's not going to cover the whole industry. Um, And so I think that means that when you account for the big shortage that currently exists and for the huge amount of turnover that already exists in trucking, that uh, pretty much anybody who is presently in the industry and wants to continue in the industry is going to be able to find a job. Uh, And then the third thing I would say is, that we really don't know the answer. So it's going to be slower. It's going to be less absolute. Uh, and and also that uh, we, it's hard to predict the deployment of technologies. And so uh, I think it's possible that the total number of drivers decreases as a result of automation 15, 20 years from now. Um, it's also possible that it doesn't. Uh, because for example, right now we have 50,000 routes that are unfilled. If we fill those in part using automation and in part using local drivers, we actually have more driving jobs than we had before. Um, and so there are a bunch of different variables, uh, and I don't pretend to know exactly how it's going to play out, but I think it's going to play out in a, a slower, smoother, uh, way than the hype would have you believe.
0: Okay. Yeah, that's, that's very helpful, you know, that perspective on what we're really looking at uh, you know, in the years and decades ahead. And you know, we often think about the potential for autonomous trucks to improve safety. Uh, we maybe even think about the potential to reduce labor costs at some point in the future. Uh, but let's also take a moment to consider the potential for autonomy to improve productivity in the industry. So earlier this year, uh, an Embark truck completed a coast-to-coast test run along the length of I-10 from LA to Jacksonville, Florida, and there was a safety driver behind the wheel uh, who was, of course, still beholden to hours of service limits, so this run took the normal five days. Uh, But in theory, if you reach the point where you can remove the driver and the truck can operate around the clock or close to it, suddenly that journey can be completed in uh, two days instead of five. So what are your thoughts on just how that could transform the supply chain someday?
1: Yeah, I think this is one of the gigantic pieces of automation that a lot of people don't talk about or don't consider. If you allow a vehicle to operate 24-7, you completely change how supply chains need to be set up, right? We're talking about the time to get things from any place to any other place it's more than 11 hours away, suddenly dropping in half. We're talking about uh, being able to achieve, like when you say here, two days instead of five, like, for context, that's now going, like we're now talking closer to air freight speeds than what it presently takes a truck to cross the country. Um, and so that's radical. Again, I was talking about earlier, uh, what are ways this is going to change the industry? Uh, One of the things we might not predict, maybe a lot of air freight switches to trucks, um, and that actually increases demand. Anyway, uh, you're going to change the speed of things, and you're also going to change the layout of distribution centers, right? Today, the major LTL networks are all set up so that their DCs are all 11 hours apart, um, so that you can drive from one, switch in the middle, and then drive back. and obviously, if you can go 24-7, that completely changes how you set up warehouses. Uh, so you're going to see things moving a lot faster. You're going to see things like uh, Amazon shipping becoming cheaper and being able to get one-day shipping, uh, shipping, shipping instead of two-day shipping or two-day shipping instead of one-week shipping. And we're talking about being able to radically improve the efficiency of warehouses, supply chains, and just-in-time manufacturing.
0: All right, well, this will all be fascinating to watch moving forward, that's for sure. Uh, we certainly live in a very interesting time for the transportation industry. It's, it's a fun time to be in this industry and uh, and for me to, to write about it and, and report about it. Uh, and thanks again, Alex, for participating in the podcast. It was great to chat with you. Thanks
1: for having me, Seth. Cheers.
2: Transport topics in one word. Authoritative. Knowledge. Outstanding.
0: Reliable. We asked Transport Topics readers to describe us in one word. Informative. Informative. Integrity. The Bible. Authoritative. The authority. Transportation information, that's two, but I've got to have it both.
1: Physically large. (laughs) Oh, that's two words. Visit influence.ttnews.com forward slash say hello to find out what they're talking about.
0: Next on Road Signs, we're excited to welcome Chetan Marichli, co-founder and CEO of Locomation, a Pittsburgh-based startup company that is developing truck platooning technology. Thanks for joining us, Chetan.
2: Thanks for having me, Seth. It's a great pleasure to be here.
0: So the concept of truck platooning, where two or more trucks connect wirelessly to form a convoy, has been a topic of discussion in the trucking industry for quite a while now. But Locomation is really taking, I think, a a very interesting approach to this technology. So in a nutshell, your company is developing a two-truck platooning system where the follower truck can drive itself with no input. And that means the driver in that truck can actually step away from driving and even go off-duty. But of course, you can explain this a lot better than me, Chetan, so you know, how does your system work?
2: Well, you actually explained it uh, quite well, but let me elaborate a little bit and give an example. Uh, assume that we have two trucks, as you said, and we have two drivers. The drivers uh, drive the trucks completely manually, just like they do today, to get through the urban areas, to get through the congested traffic, uh, etc., up until they are on the freeway. Once they are on the freeway, they engage our system, assume that there is a big green button and you press the button, and now the two trucks form a convoy. Once the system is engaged, the driver in the front truck remains in control. In fact, assumes the control of the entire convoy. And the driver in the follower truck now can leave the driver's seat and go off duty and go rest, sleep, read a book or browse the Internet. And at that point, the follower truck turns into a proper, fully autonomous truck with the only job of knowing where the lead truck is and be able to follow the lead truck.
0: Yeah, so and that's a really interesting uh, approach to this. And you know, when you think about this, you know, while that system's engaged, the driver of that lead truck is effectively driving both vehicles at the same time on the highway. You know, while that other driver in the rear vehicle is resting. So you can really think of this as uh, as an advanced form of, of team driving, but with two vehicles. So how would a, a team driving concept work with this platooning system?
2: That's a, that's a perfect analogy to, to our system. It's exactly like traditional team driving where you have two, two drivers taking turns driving the same truck. In our system, that you still have two drivers taking turns driving a convoy of two trucks. So you are doing the traditional team driving with an extra truckload of uh, freight that, that comes with you. On top of that, uh, in traditional team driving, two drivers have to stay in the same cab and share the same personal space. In our version, the drivers get their own cabs. So while uh, benefiting from the, the perks of team driving, they also can uh, have their own personal spaces and have a, a little bit more comfortable driving experience.
0: And of course, you have uh, a huge you know productivity gain from uh, multiple vehicles in, instead of one. And that's where I want to kind of take the conversation next. You know, when we think about the the business case for platooning, much of the early conversation about this uh, in the industry has really focused on fuel economy improvements. Uh, because you have a shorter following distance, it's more aerodynamic, you can save fuel. But with locomation, you know, we really are looking at that potential for some very significant gains in fleet productivity and, and driver productivity, and would you say you know, that productivity gain is actually the, the primary return on investment for a platooning system like the one you're working on?
2: Absolutely. In fact, if, uh, we, we, have, uh, we list three pillars of value proposition uh, uh, brought by our system. First and foremost is the improved asset utilization and driver utilization. That's definitely the number one. The second one is improved safety through assistance of the autonomy. And the third one is, of course, the fuel savings. We cannot over, overlook the, the fuel savings. There are some significant numbers there. But when you look at the bottom line and uh, look at the dollar values, the uh, benefits or the savings coming from improved asset utilization and improved driver time actually is about a magnitude higher than what you would gain from the fuel uh, fuel efficiency.
0: Sure. And can you quantify at all uh, what types of uh, productivity gain you might see? You know, if a, if a carrier is able to rule the system out, just how much better in terms of uh, utilization and uh, of both uh, the equipment and uh, driver time do you really see here?
2: So when you look at the the industry norms today, uh, the average utilization time per day is about seven and a half hours. And with our system, in an ideal case, we would like to be able to push it up to uh, ten and a half hours per driver shift, which is actually the physical limit what a driver can do. And uh, on a per truck basis, We would like to see numbers close to 22 hours a day or even 23 hours a day, except for some very light pre-trip, post-trip inspections and some refueling activities. Of course, the actual uh, realizations will depend on the actual routes and the actual scheduling uh, system per fleet. But the uh, theoretical gains are there.
0: Yeah, it's really fascinating. but. I mean, when you think about how you could really potentially reap the, the productivity benefits of a system like this, there's also an important question to answer from a regulatory standpoint, uh, and that really deals with hours of service. You know, if, if the driver of the following truck is resting in the sleeper berth, it, will that driver be considered off-duty, or will that still count toward uh, driving time under hours of service rules? You know, it really is, a, I think, a central question, and I want to understand Locomation's approach to that question, and how will the regulations need to change to take full advantage of a platooning system like this? Uh,
2: For that particular uh, hours of service concern that you brought up, the the regulation is already there. In fact, there is a very recent ruling declaring the sleeper berth time non-compensable. So the drivers drivers, uh, cruising in a moving truck, but in the sleeper berth and not actively driving, are already considered off-duty. Having said that, most fleets uh, honor the time spent in the cab and end up paying the driver a fraction of what a a full-time driving activity would pay. But uh, in our case, when you look at the overall uh, labor efficiency uh, point of view, now we are bundling two trucks together and uh, in the team driving scenario, that normally would require four drivers to take two trucks to, say, a 1,000-mile route. And in our case, you only need two drivers to take two trucks So uh, you actually have the luxury to uh, compensate the resting driver a little bit better than the industry standard today, while still seeing huge improvements in your bottom line. To to shortly answer your question, again, to wrap up, uh, the uh, regulations of hours of service for that particular matter is already in place. Uh, There are a couple of uh, other uh, flexibilities required in the hours of service. Uh, such as we would like to have the drivers be able to spend the first half an hour or uh, 45 minutes driving through the urban miles, but then be able to take a five, six hour uh, rest and then assume driving. That requires uh, some modifications in the current FMCSA rules. And FMCSA is already moving towards that direction. And we have active conversations with them.
0: I see. Okay. It's uh, a really interesting aspect of this, of course, because uh, these these rules and, and regulations were not written with platooning in mind. So it's a new technology, and uh, there are certainly some some finer points of of a regulation like hours of service that uh, do need to be looked at. Uh, and it's good to hear that those conversations are ongoing.
2: Of course, when you look at the current hours of service regulations, it's all written in the pen and paper era, without the digitalization, without any kind of data stream from the trucks. And truck driving is a very serious, very critical job that we need to make sure that uh, everybody is safe all the time. So now uh, with the advances in the technology, the incoming data streams through the electronic logging devices, and with the advances in the uh, new technologies like what Locomation is developing, now we have actually uh, quantifiable hard evidence that we can present to the regulators and ask for some flexibilities. So we will see that gaining more momentum as we go forward.
0: Now, for locomation's initial platooning system, there will still be a driver in the follower truck. you know even if that driver is off duty, there's still a person in the vehicle, you know even if they're not actively driving. Uh, but and when you look ahead, uh, do you anticipate someday reaching a point where that follower truck uh, is really uh, becomes an unmanned drone truck and you have a driver still in the lead vehicle but not the rear vehicle. And uh, can the platoon expand from two to three or even more trucks? Uh, so understand that we may be getting a little bit ahead of ourselves here, but what do you see as the, the path forward for platooning technology in the years ahead?
2: That's an excellent question and a very on-point uh, observation. That's uh, indeed in, uh, on our roadmap. We are starting initially with two trucks and two driver convoys. But uh, as we move forward, uh, one of the first things will, that will happen is on select routes, where the uh, the nature of the route itself permits, we will see a two-two dru- two truck, uh, single driver convoys for certain uh, segments, and then we uh, will expand the length of the convoy from two trucks to three trucks, to be able to uh, schedule more uh, across the industry and have mixed and matched co- uh, convoys going to the same direction with. Uh, Only if some of the trucks will have some human drivers, maybe just one driver as the lead uh, in the lead position or maybe two drivers, but three trucks, the third truck being a drone follower.
0: And I also want to circle back to the question uh, of fuel efficiency gains that I mentioned earlier. And, you know, as I mentioned, a lot of the early conversation about platooning has centered on saving fuel with some estimating uh, in the range of 10 percent savings for the rear truck. Uh, But actually, at the beginning of this year, uh, Martin Dom, who's the head of Daimler's Global Truck Division, uh, did cast some doubt on the the real-world fuel economy gains that you can uh, really achieve based on their testing. Uh, So, Chetan, I want to get your take on what's really achievable in terms of fuel economy gains from platooning.
2: We believe with uh, Locomation's approach of fully autonomous followers, we, can, we are able to get the, uh, the gap distance, the separation distance between two tracks to a very narrow uh, separation and hence uh, really really discourage or maybe even make impossible to cut in. And uh, what Daimler was citing was the cut ins resulting the follower track to first slow down and then have to re-accelerate to catch with the, the convoy and that reacceleration erasing most of the fuel gains from platooning. In locomotion's approach, we don't have to slow down and accelerate. Instead, we can maintain a very smooth uh, cruising all over the the, the platooning segment. And uh, according to our projections, we'll be able to get the estimated fuel savings with our system.
0: Okay, and what would be a typical uh, following distance with, with your system? And uh, would you be able to project a, a roughly uh, you know rough uh, fuel economy savings percentage understanding that there's a lot of variables in that
2: there, there is there, there really is but uh, in a, uh, we, we are aiming to hit seven or eight meters separation distance at highway speeds when we go fully commercial of course in the initial testing scenarios we will start with larger gap distances and over time make it uh, smaller but for the commercial deployment scenario, we are shooting for seven or eight meters or roughly at uh, 20 feet uh, separation distance. And at those distances, we should be able to see on average 8% per truck fuel savings, which uh, when you decompose it, it's about five to 6% for the lead truck and about 10 to 12% for the follower truck.
0: Now, before we continue, I, I do want to rewind a little bit and you know, talk a little bit about your background and also how you started Locomation. So, Shatin, take us back to the beginning, you know, what really sparked your interest in in truck platooning and, you know, why did you decide to start this company and and how did it all come together?
2: Uh, My fascination with AI and robotics started about uh, 20 years ago. And uh, since then I devoted my career in understanding how to make robots, mobile robots, more intelligent and more useful. And I've always been fascinated with the systems engineering aspect of it, building entire systems to address real world problems. About 10 years ago, I joined Carnegie Mellon University, and I spent a good good part of the last decade at National Robotics Engineering Center, which is the applied R&D branch of Robotics Institute of Carnegie Mellon, where I met most of my co-founders there. And we've spent a lot of time uh, collectively, over 100 years, uh, working on autonomous vehicles. In fact, we've even built uh, military truck convoys in the past. And being around heavy machinery all these times, we've always kept an eye on the trucking and transportation. And we've always felt that uh, trucking actually has the biggest potential for the prime first application of autonomy at commercial scale. So about two years ago, we decided to take all of our expertise and know-how and apply to a very well-defined commercial problem that we believe we can actually build a product in a short time frame and use that product to reach uh, higher levels of benefits later on. That's how we decided to start Locomation and that's how we decided to focus on trucking and truck convoying as the very first step.
0: Well, thanks for that. And you know, speaking of you know, this pathway to, to truck platooning, uh, where does Locomation stand today on its path toward launching a commercial product? Uh, you know, tell us a little bit about the technical trials and, and on road testing that you're working on right now.
2: Yeah, we have been quietly uh working very diligently on our technology. And we started testing our trucks in closed tracks, closed test tracks, a couple of months ago. And right now we are in the process of doing the final integration and final uh, shakeout tests. Later in uh, September, we will, around end of September, we will actually start doing some uh, public road tests. We have a a signed trial agreement with a top carrier that uh, we will announce separately. Uh, So we will start, uh, Pulling commercial loads as part of their operations somewhere in Southwest as early as uh, end of September, early October timeframe.
0: All right. Well, we'll certainly uh, watch for that. That'll be very interesting to uh, to learn more about uh, as that comes to fruition. And uh, you're kind of looking ahead. Uh, how soon might we see a broad commercial launch of this platooning system? Not just trials, but you know, reaching a point where a fleet can actually go order and install uh your technology and and deploy your technology
2: we are aiming to start shipping the very first commercial unit sometime in the calendar year of 2021 okay so it's really around the corner
0: and how will you take this technology to market uh do you envision this as something that will have to be factory installed by the the truck manufacturers uh, or will there be an aftermarket opportunity uh, at least in the beginning uh, what is your strategy for going to market?
2: So there are really uh, two lanes of development. There, in one lane, of course, eventually in the in some some point in the future, this technology will be uh, blended uh, in the, OE, the OEM and Tier One supply technologies. But that's a longer play. In the short term, we wanted to be really on the market as soon as possible and uh, with as, as wide of an audience as possible. So we are uh, developing our system as an aftermarket retrofit kit that uh, can be bolted on customer trucks uh, and we envision that from this initial aftermarket kit design, we will have a gradual path towards deeper and deeper integration with the existing OEM and Tier 1 designs. But initially we are, we are going to be an aftermarket retrofit kit.
0: Okay. Um, you know, finally, before I let you go, uh, I also want to ask you to look ahead and, and share your thoughts on how trucking might be different, say 10 years from now. You know, some of the big trends we see today are, of course, automated driving. Uh, You can think of platooning as part of that. Uh, Also a move toward um, the first introduction of electric trucks. And uh, of course, we've seen connected vehicles be a a broad trend uh, for some time now. But how much of that do you think will be a reality a decade from now?
2: I think we will see bits and pieces of all. So we will definitely see some early uh, generation electric trucks in the short haul parts or the last mile or last uh, couple of tens of miles delivery parts. We will definitely see a lot more connected vehicles with different levels of automation, and we will definitely see some automated driving. Uh, I, I believe in the next decade, we will start seeing some fully driverless trucks on select routes. But I don't think it's going to be a blanket solution, and we will not have every single semi-truck driving itself with no human uh, present on the cab in the next decade. So there will be progress all over, but uh, we are not going to hit the eventual very, very uh, long-term goals in the next 10 years.
0: All this stuff takes time, of course. It takes time. Usually it's more of of an evolution than a revolution, but... Uh, We are on the cusp of a lot of very uh, interesting developments in in trucking, to say the least.
2: Absolutely. And evolution is not a very bad thing, as long as uh, you can be cognizant and resourceful about uh, embracing the evolution and make sure that you are getting the best uh, commercial benefits out of what is possible and available today, rather than just waiting for it a multi-decade uh, research experiment to pan out.
0: You know, this has really been a fascinating conversation, but I think we've reached a pretty good stopping point here. So just want to say thanks again for joining us, Chetan, and sharing all your thoughts and you know, all the very interesting stuff that you're working on at Locomation.
2: It's been a delight and great pleasure. Thanks so, thanks so much again for having me, Seth.
0: From time to time,
2: an issue commands so much of the industry's attention that it requires a deeper dive. A resource readers can turn to. A Transport Topics special report. In 2019, we produced two. One, on the rising tide of electric trucks that are promising to reshape how goods are moved down the road. We also examined trends in trucking and insurance, with particular focus on how new technologies help motor carriers eliminate risk and how this is influencing insurers' underwriting practices. I'm Joe Howard, executive editor here at Transport Topics, and I invite you to learn more about our special reports and reserve your copy of the next one at ttn.ws special.
0: The advance of automated driving technology is raising a lot of exciting possibilities for enhancing safety and efficiency in the trucking industry. But this technology is taking many different forms. First off, automation will further improve the active safety systems that are already supporting many truck drivers as they deliver the nation's freight. At the same time, companies such as Embark are testing highly automated trucks designed to operate in hub-to-hub operations, and others, like Locomation, are developing truck platooning technology that could enhance driver productivity. These startup companies are emblematic of an influx of new talent and venture capital targeting the trucking industry. We'll continue this conversation soon in part two of our Road Signs Roundabout series on automated trucks. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please let others know. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If my questions have sparked questions of your own, share them with me and the Road Signs team. You can email us at share at ttnews.com. We'll read them and respond daily. Until next time, I'm Seth Clevenger. Thank you for listening.